Good morning, church. Good morning, John chapter 15. Remember, we're studying these passages, and Jesus is making his way uh, to the cross. And so we need to understand all of these teachings in light of what will happen the next day. And, And church, if I could give you a word to describe John 15, I think it would be the word fruitfulness. This is what Jesus is wanting us to consider. Remember, Jesus is going to the cross. He has a mission for his disciples. He's called them to a specific purpose. He's calling them to advance the kingdom of God. And he's saying, okay, so here's how we're going to live a fruitful life. You'll be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I'm calling you to do some things. And if you're going to do them well, you need to be connected to me. You need to be in the vine. In verse 5, church, this week has just been ringing in my head. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. From part from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is saying there's two outcomes that are possible in your life. You can be connected to Christ and be fruitful as a result, or you can go your own way, live your own way, and you will be fruitless. Really two things I see in this passage. First one is I think we need to be encouraged that Christ wants us to be fruitful. That's encouraging to know, right? Because some of us think about that moment we stand before God one day and we look back on our life and we think that God's just a judge who's going to critique us. No, God wants to empower you. God wants you to be fruitful. He wants you to gain ground for the kingdom of God. Jesus took on flesh and died for you so you could be forgiven and empowered to live a fruitful life. John 15 is Jesus sitting there teaching you saying, I want you to be fruitful. I want you to be connected to me. I want you to live a fruitful life. But then he says, apart from me, if you reject me and you go your own way, you will do nothing. And now, church, we know that that's not literal. Because we can do a lot of things in our lives. They just won't last. And they won't be of any value. And I think for many of us, living a life with no value is very scary. When we talk about living a life that would uh, produce regret in our lives, we would think, I don't want to do that. We would listen up and say, how do I pursue a life that would actually count for something? I think this is why John Piper's message, Don't Waste Your Life, is the most influential message of the 21st century. Has anybody heard this message before? Don't Waste Your Life? Probably the most heard and listened to message when John Piper talked about how there's a call for each one of us or temptation for each one of us to waste our lives. I want to read an excerpt from this sermon. He said, I tell you what a tragedy is. I'll read to you from Reader's Digest what a tragedy is. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler playing softball and collecting shells. That's a tragedy, and people today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace that tragic dream, and I get 40 minutes to plead with you, don't buy it. With all my heart, I plead with you, don't buy that dream, the American dream, nice house, nice car, nice job, nice family, nice retirement. Collecting shells is the last chapter of your life before you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account of of what you did, and you say, here it is, Lord, my shell collection. Who wants to do that? None of us do. We want to stand before God and say, Lord, I was fruitful. I was connected to Jesus, and I was in the vine. Church, God wants you to be fruitful, and he has told us how. He said, if you're going to be fruitful, you have to be connected to me. First one, he says, I am the vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Now, we've been studying through the book of John, and we need to understand verse 1 
as an I am statement, right? When Jesus says, I am, he's claiming to be God, but he says, I am the vine. And he also gives us a role for God the Father in this. We see this only one other time in the book of John, John chapter 10, where he told us that the Father is the keeper of the sheep pen, but he tells us that the Father is the vine dresser. Now, some of us might read these verses here in John 15 and think, well, this is a little confusing. I don't really understand how Jesus is a vine and how uh, he's pruning things, he's he's cutting things, and what does fruitfulness mean? And so, you know, some of us, when we don't understand Scripture, where do we go next to try to discern the the meaning of Scripture? Google. (laughs) That's so honest and so true. We go to Google. We might think, oh, I trust this pastor. Let me go ask this pastor in church. I want to encourage you, that should not be your first step to go to a human or go to uh, Google. Now, we should use resources all the time, absolutely. But first, we should let the Bible interpret the Bible. We should let the Bible interpret the Bible. And we need to understand when Jesus gives us I am statements, like I am the bread of life, he was calling the disciples to think back on previous scripture. When the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness and they needed bread and God provided manna from heaven. And when God said he's the bread of life, he wanted them to interpret that saying through what had happened in the Old Testament. When he says the good shepherd, our minds should go back to Psalm 23. And the imagery of the vine is in the Old Testament. It's also in the New Testament later when Paul writes about it in Romans chapter 11. But I want us to see how Jesus uses the illustration of the vine in the Old Testament, but he also builds on the teaching that we see in the Old Testament. Listen to Psalm 80, verses 8 and 9, talking about the vine. David writing, talking about what God did. He says, you removed a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground before it, and it took deep root and filled the land. Let me read this passage one more time. And what is the vine in this passage? You removed a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it, planted the vine. You cleared the ground before it, and it took deep root and filled the land. It's the vine Jesus in Psalm chapter 80. The vine is the nation of Israel. He says, you removed a vine. You took a vine out of Egypt. This was the nation of Israel in Egypt. He says, you drove out the nations and planted this vine when God gave them the promised land. Listen to Jeremiah 2, 21. Yet I planted you as a choice vine, a completely faithful seed. How then have you turned yourself before me into the degenerate shoots of a foreign vine? So again, the Old Testament, the vine is not Christ. It's representative of the nation of Israel. This is what we see in the teachings in the Old Testament. This is why in John 15, verse 1, Jesus does not say, I am the vine. He says, I am the true vine. He says, I'm building off an illustration that was used in the Old Testament. God was describing the vine as this nation, as these people, as the Israelites. But he says, being connected to them will not produce eternal life. Being connected to me will produce eternal life. And church, there may be some false connections, some things that we think that we, if we're in these things or connected to these things, that we will have eternal life. And in this time period, it was everybody who was connected to the nation of Israel thought they were already saved. They thought they had eternal life because of who their parents were or where they went to school or just kind of the culture of their lives. Church, we do the same thing today. I got a Connection Church Athens t-shirt. I'm in the vine. I show up and serve, I'm in the vine. I wrote a check to the church, I'm in the vine. And he's saying, I am the true vine. Life is in me. You can have no life in and of yourself, and you cannot be connected to any other thing and reap the benefits of eternal life. Jesus is the only one that we can be connected to that produces life. He says, I am the true vine. I ask you, what false vine are you tempted to be connected to for life? 
What are you searching after? What are you hooking up with so that you can be connected and enjoy life, church? The true vine is Jesus. And he's saying being connected to an organization or a culture or a people or a family will not save you. He says you must be connected to me. Later in Romans 11, 17 through 21, Paul talks about these branches and he tells us that the natural branches were the people of the nation of Israel. But if you were an Israelite and rejected Christ, we're told that God would break them off. Because acceptance before the Father is not about a nation. It is about being connected to Jesus. And we're going to see these same teachings, church, in verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. The first point this morning, y'all, is that the Father knows those who are His. The Father knows those who are His. Notice verse 2 is more about what the Father does than what the Son does. It says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. The Father takes away. Those are those connected to the nation of Israel but not connected to Christ. He says, they have no life. They bear no fruit. The Father takes them away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. He said that there may be those that you think are connected to the vine. You may think that they're in Christ, but they're actually not in church. We need to recognize coming here today does not mean we're saved. And so there can be people sitting in this room today that we think are connected to the vine that are in Christ. But church, if you have not repented of your sins and believed in his work in faith, you're not connected to the vine. No amount of church attendance or reading your Bible can connect you to the vine. And we must make sure, church, that we are connected to him. And it's amazing. We look at the outward appearance and we think, oh, that person's been around. That person's in the group. They must be connected in church. God sees our hearts. He knows whose are his. What that means is that we can fool each other for a little while by our works. I can fool y'all a little bit. You thinking I'm okay. You can fool me by how much we serve or, or by some of the works that we do. But church, we can't fool God. We can't fool him. He knows who are his. Are you connected to the vine? Church, I pray that you are. You know, Jesus talks about this parable of the wheat and the weeds, or the wheat and the tares, and he tells us that the kingdom of God, we're in this period where it's going to be hard to discern who's in Christ and who's not in Christ, but the Father will sort it out. And he's already been talking about this because in John chapter 13, he said, and you're clean, but not all of you. Right? Somebody watching from the outward appearance would have thought Judas was just part of the group. He's a good old disciple, just like everybody else. But church, he didn't believe. He wasn't connected to the vine, and he didn't fool the Father. And church, I, I just pray for each one of you today. I ask you, are, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Have you accepted his grace by faith? Are you connected to the vine? Because I can't save you. Your connect group leader can't save you. Only Christ can save you. Are you connected to the fine? And the Father knows who are his. Second point this morning, quickly, is that the Father prunes those who are his. He knows those who are his. We can't fool God. Can't fool the vine dresser, but he prunes those that are his. This is the second part of verse 2. He says he takes away those who are not connected to the vine, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Does that sound fun for the believers in the room? Church, this might be the most condemning verse for the prosperity gospel that we've studied in the gospel of John. What is the prosperity gospel? It is the heresy that faith in Christ equals material blessing. 
every time, that if I have enough faith, I will be healed. If I have enough faith, then I will uh, have so much money in my bank account. If I have enough faith, then my uh, kids will be saved, and my, my husband will be saved, and everything else will work out for good. It's the prosperity gospel that faith in Christ equals material blessing. And if this was the prosperity gospel, if Jesus taught the prosperity gospel, I think John 15, 2 would read a little bit differently. It would say that in those who bear fruit, he fertilizes to increase by two or three times and will transform you into a lush garden. That sounds a little bit easier, doesn't it? Sounds a little bit lighter, but Jesus says, that's not the way I'm going to get you to produce more fruit. I'm not going to get you to produce more fruit by fertilization. I'm going to cut away from you to make you more like Christ. And notice the end goal is that we would be more fruitful, but he said it's not going to come through a glut of resources or fertilization. It's going to come through pruning. Now, I know there's some farmers in this room, so I'm probably telling you all some things that you already know, but I remember going to my grandparents' house when I was pretty young, and my grandparents showed me some tomato plants that had been over-fertilized. And these plants were huge. Tomato plants were absolutely enormous. The stalks were, were that big, but there was no fruit on the vine. And my grandmother explained to me that when you over-fertilize a plant, it is given so many resources that the plant focuses on getting really, really big that it almost forgets to produce fruit. And the function of a tomato plant is not to get super big and have big vines. It's to produce tomatoes. And God's telling us here, he's saying, the way I'm going to grow you is I'm going to cut away. I can't do this because if I just give you everything you want in life, you're not going to produce fruit for me. And he says, I know your function, and it's to glorify me by producing fruit. And so I'm going to cut away. I'm going to prune. And how does this pruning look like in our lives? It looks like trials. It looks like persecution and suffering. It looks like self-mortification when I deny myself, when the, when the sinful self dies so that Christ can live in me. And church, I wish it wasn't this way. I wish it was just fertilization. Everything was happy. But God says, hey, this is how it's going to work, and it's going to work better for my glory. This is why the apostles in the book of Acts could be beaten and imprisoned and walk away and say, God, thank you for persecuting me. I am counted worthy enough to endure this. Because they knew that through persecution, they would be made more like Christ. This is why in James chapter 1, he says, Consider it all joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. He says, you'll be refined through the fire. I want you to think about this imagery with me. Christ is this vine, and I'm in him, so I'm a branch off the vine. And the father's the vine dresser, which means he's coming at me with his pruning shears. And I'm like a branch that's blown in the wind, like dodging the pruning shears, right? But Christ knows what's best for me, and it's to prune me. It's to put me through the fire to make me more like him. Then when he cuts me, I want you to hear me, he cuts Christ. When he cuts me, he cuts Christ because I'm in Christ I'm a branch on the vine. And this is why in 1 Peter 4.13, when Peter talked about our struggles, he said, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. He says, when God puts you through the fire, I want you to know you're not alone in this. And this should not be understood first, primarily as your suffering. It is the suffering of Christ. He went before and he suffered for you. So on my Thursdays and my Mondays, when I'm walking through the fire, I recognize that I am participating in his suffering. 
Church, this is really good news because I participate in his suffering. I also participate in his resurrection, which means he's already won the victory. And I'm fighting a battle he's already won because of the greatness of our God. I am in him. And so when God prunes me, he's pruning Christ. I'm not alone in this. And the goal is to make me more like him. Verse 3 is also phenomenal. Y'all are like, Liam, we got to keep moving. Uh, we got 27 verses. Just rock with me just one more minute. So he, those who are not in Christ, he takes away because they're not bearing fruit. They're not bearing fruit because they're lazy. They're not, they're, or excuse me, they are unable to bear fruit, not because they're lazy, but because they're not connected to the vine. They have no life. They're dead. He says that then he prunes those who are in the vine so they may bear more fruit. And then verse 3, he says, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Now, this is an allusion back to John chapter 13. Remember when, John, or when uh, Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, he comes to Peter, and he says to Peter, uh, or Peter says to him, Lord, you're going to wash my feet. And he says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. He says, you don't understand what I'm doing, but you'll understand later. And Peter says, well, if you need to wash my feet so I can be with you, wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus says to him, what does he say? He says, you're already clean, but not all of you are clean. And Jesus tells us in verse 3 why Peter was clean before the cross. What does it say? It says, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. He says, you're already clean because you've heard and believed in a message. And church, I just want you to not miss this in verse 3. This is how we're connected to the vine. We're not connected to the vine through our works. We're connected to the vine when we respond to a message, Ephesians 1.13. And you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Hearing is a big deal. Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Romans 10.17, consequently, faith comes through hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Church, the message message is a really, really big deal. When we're connected to Christ, it's because we hear and respond to a message. What is that message? It is the work of Christ. I am dead in my sins. Christ has made me alive. And church, this is important because that's how we're connected to the vine, but that's also how we connect other people to the vine. And so this is how we're fruitful. It's by opening our mouths and sharing the message. And I just thought about this this week, but when I open my mouth and share the message of God, this is the power of God unto salvation. Church, I am opening the doors of the kingdom of God. Think about that. You are inviting people in to partake in the kingdom of God when you share the gospel message. You're saying, hey, come get connected to the vine. Let me tell you about what Jesus has done in my life, how he saved me, how he's connected me. I want that for you. I want to open this opportunity for you. And the message is powerful. That means when you open your mouth and share the message of the gospel, it's powerful because it is the message of God. The power is not with me. It's with God. Finally, church, number three, the Father is glorified by those who are his. Verse 8 My father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Verses about four through seven are a recapitulation of verse two. He talks about those who are disconnected from the vine that the father brings away. But then he also talks about those who are in the vine who will um, produce more fruit. And he says, through all of this, the fruit that we bear will glorify the father, church. And we need to recognize this is like the baseline for all of this. My purpose in life is to glorify God, is to make him bigger. And how do I do that? Is to bear more fruit. So he 
He empowers us by connecting us to the vine, connecting us to life, but not only that, but as he's pruning us, he's, he's doing all of these things so that he can get more glory through us. And really the rest of this chapter is he talks about as you live a life, a fruitful life in the kingdom of God, there's two things that you need to look out for and two things that you need to make sure are going to happen in the future. Really one is more of a command and one he's like, this is going to happen to you. And the first one he says is if you want to glorify me and live a fruitful life, you need to love one another. This is what he says in verses 12 through 17. Will you read this with me? He said, This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I've heard from the Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit will remain, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give you. This I command you, that you love one another. I don't know, just reading right there, verse 16, he says, I appointed you that you would go bear fruit. Can we just sit on verse 16 for a second? God appointed you to go bear fruit. He's called you out and said, hey, hey, Chase, hey, Scott, I got something for you to do. I've got some, some kingdom work for you to do, and I have empowered you, chosen you, and appointed you. You're going to go do this. Church, isn't that so freeing to know that God has set good things for us to do? Works prepared beforehand so we could glorify him. And he says, this is going to be seen in the world by the way we love one another. I love it. In verse 12, he says, this is my commandment. You love one another. Verse 17, this, I command you that you love one another. Now, there are so many passages in Scripture that we could go to and look at, and this is where Jesus says, or, or Paul says, or God says, it's all God's word, right? Uh, he says, go love the world, love non-believers, right? And, and love everybody in the world, right? Who's your neighbor? Everybody's your neighbor. All these other passages, but specifically here, I want you to hear me. He's saying, when he says love one another, he's saying love the brethren. He's saying love the disciples, is he sitting there, Jesus is sitting there with his 12 disciples, right? And he's saying, okay, I have loved you. I've poured my life into you. Hey, you need to love him. Peter, you need to love John. Thomas, I know they're going to make fun of you, but you still need to love these guys, right? Like, you just need to love one another. He says, I'm giving you a mission. I'm calling you guys out to be fruitful. And he says, you guys, you need to know that these are your people. This is your support system. You need to sacrificially love one another. Because life's hard, God's called us on mission, and he says to the church, to those who are redeemed, to those who are connected to the vine, love the other branches. And this is a big deal, church. And I ask you at Connect Church Athens, are you embracing this community? Have you embraced this community? Are you loving one another like Christ loves this church? Or have you uh, done that, or have you said, I'm just going to kind of keep biblical community at arm's length? Right? Like, I'll just kind of wave at people at church and say, hey, how you doing? You know, maybe go out and love But I don't really want to love these people. I don't really want to do life with these people. You guys know, like, there's just such a difference between, like, fake church community. Hey, how you doing? Right? Versus, like, actually loving people, actually sacrificially serving people, actually calling somebody and saying, this is what I'm struggling with. I need help. Going to somebody and just tangibly letting them experience the love of God through you. Loving one another embracing community. There's just such a difference, church. And, and he says, this is crucial to your success in this mission, to fully embrace community. He says, this is going to be hard, 
and you need to love one another. He tells us in verse 12 that you love one another just as I have loved you. He says, think about how much Jesus loves you. He says, you show that to the other branches. Which means those in your connect group, church, you love them like Christ loves them. You embrace them fully. You forgive them. You're patient with them. You encourage them. You hold them accountable. You are Christ to them. He says, love one another. And it's amazing, too. He tells us that when we do this, that we're being like Christ, but we're also told that um, this is the proof that we are the disciples, right? And so you just think about the beauty of a non-believer coming into the church and seeing this biblical community play out. Because think about like all the different areas of your life. Like maybe if you're a student, you're involved in some university things, or if you work, like if somebody, you guys know like just how fake like work relationships are and just, hey, how you doing? I mean, you just a surface level talking about the dogs, talking about the Braves, and it's just this cycle over and over. You never get deeper. It's just the same dance every single day. And most of our lives are like that. You think about it, there's like three people in your life that actually love you, right? Like when you start talking about these people who fully embrace you in community, the list is very, very short. And then everybody else you know, the 700 plus people on your Facebook account, it's just a fake relationship. In our world, disconnected from the vine, they don't know this kind of community. But we have a really cool opportunity to produce this community within ourselves where we're embracing one another And then they come in and they go, whoa, this is different. These people love one another and they will learn about Christ by your love. He says, your fruit is the proof. As you embrace one another, you love one another, you sacrificially serve one another. I'm talking about people in the church. Unbelievers will see it and say, wow, they're disciples of the most high God because they're different. Why would they act this way? Because it's not natural, it's supernatural. And we learn about God by the way we have biblical community. He says, you love one another. He gives us a really good reason in verses 18 through 25 of why we do this. And it's because if we love one another and we're sold out for the mission of God, the world is going to hate us. Do you see this in verse 18? If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. The world hates the vine, it's also going to hate the branches. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. I want you to notice in verse 20, he's not saying that everyone will hate you. He's just saying that the gospel is polarizing. He says, if people reject the gospel and you are in the vine, you are in Christ, they're going to hate you. But not everybody. There are some that will follow it. That's what he says in verse 20. He says, if they kept my word, they will keep yours also. There are some who will respond to the gospel. But there are some that will hate you because of it. And we experience this pressure every single day. And we're scared of people hating us. And so what do we do? We're silent with the gospel. We don't share it because we don't want to be hated. Church, and we don't want to step out and tell people our testimony. 
We don't want to step out and pursue our one because we know that if we do, there's a chance that somebody will respond negatively and relationships will be broken. Church, this is a struggle in my own life. But when I'm faced with that choice, here's what helps me think about it rightly. Whose name am I going to live for? And whose glory am I seeking? Because if it is about the glory of Christ and not my name, I should be okay with his name being glorified at the expense of my own name. I want my name to be numbered with Christ so closely as a branch on his vine that if somebody hates the name of Jesus, I'm okay with them hating the name Liam Hardy because Jesus and Liam Hardy are together and my name's not higher. But when I'm silent, because I know they would reject the name of Jesus, what I'm doing is I am giving glory to Liam and not Christ. In church, that's backward. That's backward. And he says, you got to be okay with people hating you. I am such a people pleaser. I don't like that. But I need to get over my name and exalt his and let his name be in lights over mine and say, I care about the glory of the name of Jesus above my own. Why? Because he saved me. Why? Because he's adopted me into his vine. Why? Because I was dead and now I'm alive and he has given me a, an opportunity to be fruitful and connected to him. He has given me everything and so I will decrease. I don't care about the glory of my name. It is all about Jesus. That's what we got to do, church. And he says, hey, this is why you love one another. I just want to go back to verses 12 through 17. He's saying, this is going to be hard, but you've got people in your corner who will help you through this process. You've got to embrace community in your church. You've got to embrace one another, embrace fellow disciples, because this is going to be really hard. And church, living this life is hard. We need each other to do this. Amen? Amen. So I want to ask you, what is your next step? What is your next step for, for where, from between where you are now to living a fruitful life connected to the vine. I'm going to ask the band if they'll come up. And I've got four next steps. And these are kind of in the format of just a prayer that you could pray. It's one sentence. If you're taking notes, I'm just going to encourage you to write these four things down. The first one is, God, I am ready to be connected to the vine. God, I'm ready to be connected to the vine. This is very, very important, church. Maybe there's somebody today who said, I've been connected to churchy things for a long time, but I'm not connected to a relationship with Jesus. I just want you to know that offer is on the table for you today to come to know Christ, to respond in faith to the work of Christ. And maybe that's you sitting here today and you're just saying, I'm not connected. I'm dead. I have no life and no capacity to be fruitful because I don't know Jesus. Church, I want to introduce you to him today. Jesus wants to know you. He's, he's moved mountains to know you. He came and took on flesh and he died a, a death that he didn't deserve. It was your death so that you could have life in his name and you could know him and enjoy him. Church, we want to help you take that next step if you need to be connected to the vine today. If you're in Christ, the second one's for you. God, I'm willing to be pruned. God, I'm willing to be pruned. I want to be like Christ. And I understand what it will take for me to be like Christ. And that's like, he's going to have to cut some things away in my life. Church, I'm, I'm, just pray, God, I'm okay to walk through that fire 
because I know the end of the story. I know I will be with you forever. I know you will wipe away every tear from my eye, Lord. And, and there's gonna be some things between here and now that are gonna be very uncomfortable and they're gonna be so scary and they might cost me my life, but Lord, I'm willing to be pruned and I, I will value Christ-likeness over comfort. God, I'm willing to be pruned. Thirdly, God, I'm ready to love other people. God, I'm tired of holding community out at arm's length and, and not being all in with people who are in my community. Father, I want to be all in to love other people. And the fourth one is, God, I'm ready to be hated by the world. I'm ready to be hated by the world, God. I value your name above my name. So everywhere I go, I will preach the name of Jesus. And I don't care how people will respond. I don't care if I'll lose some friends because I'm friends with Jesus. And if you got a problem with him, then you got a problem with me. And I will, am ready to be hated by the world. I'm ready to be connected to the vine. I'm willing to be pruned. I'm ready to love other people. I'm ready to be hated by the world. Church, I ask you, which one is your next step? Which one do we need to do so that we can produce a life that is more fruitful for the kingdom of God? Will you pray with me? Father, you're so good. God, I pray that we would just rest this morning in, in the truth that you want us to be fruitful. God, you want Connection Church Athens to be fruitful more than we want Connection Church Athens to be fruitful. You died for your church, God. You died and you rose again to empower us so that we could live a fruitful life. And God, I pray for each one of us, we would just respond to your plan and your purpose by taking a next step. To love one another, to submit to trials, to seek your glory over our own. Lord, to be connected to the vine. Lord, I pray as we just respond and worship today, Lord, we sing about our living hope that we have in Christ. Father, I pray that you be glorified in our time, Lord. You would change us and you would transform us as we worship. And it's in the name of your Son we pray. Amen.